Welcome to the Camera Shake Podcast, episode 31. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. Uh, please welcome Mr. James Musselwhite, portrait photographer, well, I should say master portrait photographer, MPA mentor, judge. I was going to say Judge Judy, but <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, uh, MPA judge um, and Canon featured artist, as I've just found out today. Yeah. So, so James, how are you doing? It was a surprise to me too that Canon would ask me to be a featured artist. That was a good thing. I'm very well today. Thank you yeah. for asking. Great. Well, it's fantastic to have you on the show um, today. So thank you for um, agreeing to this. Um, I've been following you for quite a while. And I have to say there's, there's so many different facets to what you do that I'm pretty sure um, either this is going to be this could be like an over length kind of podcast. <laughs> you know? So why don't yeah. we start? Why don't we start with um, the situation that we all find ourselves in, you know, right now, obviously we're in the, we're over here in the UK, we're in the second lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, how does that feel for you? Does it, how do you, how would you compare this um, lockdown to the first lockdown that we had in like April, uh, May, June the time? Big, yeah, the biggest difference for me is that I've got kids and both the kids are at school age. So ultimately mm -hmm. the, the biggest difference between two lockdowns is the first lockdown, the kids were at school, uh, weren't at school. They had to come home and be homeschooled. So that was a complete shift in priorities in terms of, I think like day one, we drew up a big timetable. And we said like, we're all going to get dressed and we're going to start the day off with the Joe Wicks PE. And then at 9.30, you're going to do this. And then at 10 o'clock, you're going to do that. And that lasted three days before we eventually threw that in the bin and thought that's completely unmanageable. And then within two weeks, we set our expectation levels to, you know, just getting out of bed um, at some point during the day. Um, that's obviously not true, but, um, I think ultimately, I think the, the first lockdown was so unknown. There was so, and, and everyone says this with uncertain times and all those cliches, mm. but everyone, everyone was, was uncertain and they didn't know what to expect from the virus. They didn't know what to expect for the future. They didn't know how quickly we'd be able to get out of this sort of situation. And I think with the second lockdown, the kids are at school. So we've been, been able to maintain some sort of normality at home in terms of routine. I think like taking away from photography for the, for, for, for a sec, for, right at the start, I say for a second, but right at the start, taking it away from photography, our main priority this year has been the mental health of, and well-being of our children. Mm. Unquestionably, I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and, and everything has taken a backseat to making sure that they're not, that their headspace is on, is on a level playing field. Because as much as I don't understand the virus i don't understand the pandemic i don't understand how it's going to affect the health and the wealth of the nation and the, and the global market mm. that's nothing compared to the to the to the potential misunderstandings that children have about it and the potential for for real long-term effects um upstairs and i think it's just little it, it's it's all the little things it's like it's like my my, my daughter asking me uh, when she can hug nana again mm. You know, and these are things that no generations had to to deal with. And, you know, we we constantly hark back. We don't, sorry, but there's a section of society that constantly harks back to sort of like the blitz spirit and, mm. you know, the World War Two sort of that. But you can't fight this thing. You know, it's not a thing that you fight. It's a, th it's a thing that you have to really, the success at the moment, I think, is measured in maintaining some semblance of normality, particularly mm. with children. And that's where our priority has been, you know. That, yeah. got re that was really heavy for a start. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll go straight in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, yeah, yeah, you, 
you're absolutely right because uh, I mean I, f- I found I found I was in the, in the very beginning um, so sort of, you know in April um, May time I was really I, I was you know majorly concerned for my kids um, on on a number of different levels I mean one was you know my uh, my teenage kids weren't able to see their friends anymore and it, I could see how that was having a major impact on them mentally uh, because they they were like caged animals. You know, they were locked, they were locked in a house. Um, they spent all their, like, you know, all their time on social media, communicating with their friends that way. And, you know, their sleep patterns went out the window and it was just, you know, and obviously their mood swings were uh, insane. Um, and in fact, weirdly, the only, <laughs> the the only one of my children who kept like a balanced, uh, you know, sort of mental perspective was actually my youngest, my nine-year-old. She was, because she still had, um school like lessons going on online so for her she still had a, a bit of a routine going on you know she did the the home learning you know for like i think four or five hours a day it was pretty intense but you know it basically meant that she had that routine monday to friday and then she weekends off you know and it was, it was cool the two older ones you know they were supposed to have gcse and a level exams which didn't happen mm-hmm. and so there was no replacement uh, put in place from the school side and so they were literally left at home with nothing to do locked up i mean they were like you know, yeah, like caged animals. <laughs> so, yeah, you know exactly, and it's and it's that it's those little things like you've got a whole generation there that missed out mm. on exams, yeah, you know, and and missed out on the, the the natural next step in their careers and their lives and their education. Yeah, it's just sort of taken away from them. So I think just yeah, and like I said, it's it's just a, it was a case of it was a real. Oh, I don't want to use the word game changer, but it was just a real it was a real reset. In, in terms of mm. uh, priorities, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. I just, you know, I remember like when um, places like B and Q, uh, which is like a hardware store type of thing over here, uh, when they started opening again, and I'm uh, really you know going to to buy some stuff for like home improvement because what else are you going to do? Um, you know, and having to queue up and everybody's like distance, you know, with masks on, and and I remember looking around thinking, this is like I don't like I don't want my 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 youngest to see this you know this is terrible it's like apocalyptic <laughs> sci-fi <laughs> movie stuff you know it's like no kids should see this ever i mean this is like one of these things you know where you kind of go like what is happening mm. and um you know and then of course uh, over time as as that sort of became the new normal you then you know put things in place and then things you know you kind of get used to the situation some in a weird very weird way although i don't know I don't know if yeah, I think say. so. Yeah, I think it's, I don't think it's like I say. It's not going to be. It's not going to be normal until we get a, until until there's a vaccine, essentially. Because yeah. by the nature of the way that pandemics work, from what I understand, that's not you know that's it, we're not going to get to any sense of normality until someone mm. gets a shot in the arm. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, like I said, you can just you can really like we've. You'd, this is where I think. I mean, we're probably going to come onto it, but this is where I genuinely think that there is hope there is light at the end of the tunnel because I think mm. it's made us all realize the importance of doing things that we took for granted previously. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there, there was a thing where Nick and me, uh, I mean, you know, we've mentioned this many times on this podcast. It was really, you know, the, the prime reason, the primary reason why we started this podcast in the first place was because of, uh, because of the, the national lockdown, because we found ourselves with literally nothing to do. And, you know, we got on the phone to each other or FaceTime or whatever. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do now? All of our shoots have been canceled. You know, are you, what are you doing? Netflix? Disney Plus? What's happening, you know? Um, 
And it was like, uh, okay, well, do you remember this idea uh, about starting a podcast? And I'm like, okay, now's the time. Let's do it. And that was like, you know, it was 30 weeks, 31 weeks ago. 30, mm. Yeah, 31 weeks ago. So um, so a, a lot of things have come out of this that are, that are actually quite positive. And the more you get involved, I think, in positive things, the, the more it brings out the positivity in, in others as well, the, which is why, I actually, you know, which is why I'm really happy to have you on because I've, um, I've been a member of the the Honest Photographer uh, Facebook group for some time, <laughs> which I always remember you. Um, that's one thing I want to talk to you about uh, yeah. because I found that was another one of these um, little oases of of positive of positivity and and uh, mutual. I don't know what's the word like. You know, pe- people seem to be helping each other out on there, and uh, so yeah. I found that very helpful. I think. Yeah, th- well, thank you very much. I don't, that's exactly what I wanted it to be. The, the Honest Photographer is just, it's only a very small Facebook group. There's only about mm-hmm. 500, 600 people in there at the moment. and But it's a closed group and you can only find it if you are sort of invited in there by a mutual acquaintance, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's any sort of secret society. It initially began as my safe space. Mm-hmm. So I set it up with me and about 15, 20 other photographers who I knew in the industry. And I just said, look, this is a place where we can all be this is our little safe space if you want to have a rant have a have a moan or put an idea forward and and not be worried that someone's going to share it with someone else in another society mm. or answer back to you in a way that you know that you don't like or that's too confrontational because some photographers can be super blunt you know they've had like you know um that, that sort of bypass in in, the, in in when they're online in terms of being caring for other people's feelings i suppose but it was a place for me to go to sort of also to sort of say look this is i put this front online mm. for for most of my business pages my linkedin profile my twitter my instagram they've all got a different front but they're all a front and like the honest mm. photographer isn't a front it's like it was it was for when i was going to jobs and i just drop in mm. a live video just saying look i'm i've done this type of say for example i've done this type of wedding for the last 13 years Mm. but i'm just arriving now i start shooting in 10 minutes and i'm nervous as hell you know and i don't and and if i had the money here and another photographer willing to take the money i'd I'd, you know i'd happily give them the money Mm. but then but then the video to to shoot it for me but then the video at the end of the night is like me going do you know what as soon as i click the first the first the first shutter Mm. um i felt at home and i felt easy and i felt comfortable again but it's just normalizing those feelings because i think that that online persona is, is actually quite the online persona particularly in photography as well where everyone so comes across as so super successful mm. and innovative and creative and powerful in some ways as well particularly with the people at the top of the tree can be really mm. really damaging because you feel like you're failing because you're not that and that's not true mm. at all i am privileged enough to have got to a position where i where I attend conventions and judgings and, and all those sorts of things with these photographers at the top of the tree. Mm. And, and I know from, from being around them that everyone's pretty much on the same playing field, you know, mm. um, in terms of those feelings, in terms of struggling, in terms of the struggles of being in a creative business, particularly at a time where we're, we're a non-essential business. Mm-hmm. And and I think dropping that front and showing that to people and 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 and, and bringing people along on that road, you, you do get to a point in your career as well. And I've thought about this quite a lot recently, actually. You get to a point in your career where your job is not to succeed for yourself anymore. Like I've got I've got goals for next year that I know I want to achieve, um, but my, I realise that my role is changing, 
and my role now is to is to help other people make a success of their careers in this mm. brilliant profession and to help them and to offer them advice and to offer them also to offer them you know the ability to listen when times are difficult and to mm. empathize with that because i've been there you know and, yeah. and i think that's that's where the future in this business lies is in is in us guys who've who've been on a journey and are still on the journey but have been on a journey to relative success can help everyone else come through and be successful as well yeah i think in the creative industry generally i think um you know and i say this you know as somebody who's who's had a career in music before so i know what it's like to you know be a freelance musician and you know not have a regular income and have to, having to worry about um how you're going to make next you know next month's paycheck and i you know obviously experienced the same thing in photography again um, and then you're in a situation like, uh, you know, like, like COVID-19 and, you know, you worry at first, but then you can think, well, hang on a minute. You know, first of all, I've kind of done this before. And secondly, I'm not the only one. There's loads of people out there who are feeling the same insecurities, you know, as me. And, and this is, you know, um, this is why I found your, your Facebook group, um, so useful. Uh, and likewise, it's, it's the kind of, you know, the sort of therapy that I've gotten out of just doing this, uh, this doing this podcast, because you end up talking with people, just like you said, who, you know, are vastly more experienced and vastly more successful on the surface. And yet we're all feeling the same things and we're all having the same thoughts and just mm -hmm. sharing that very often actually just kind of takes, you know, it sort of takes the sting out of it a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah, no, unquestionably. I think, yeah, I think that's, and that's part of the, the community of, of being in an, in an industry where people are largely self-employed and largely mm -hmm. don't work in big offices or for big companies. And then and, and also, and here's the funny, here's, here's the dichotomy of that. Mm. In an industry where we meet so many people, unless you're a commercial or a product photographer, in an industry where we meet so many people, um and and yet we're so lonely at the same time because we don't truly work with them mm. we kind of work for them if that makes mm. sense and um and yeah just to just to provide that sense of community is uh, is really really helpful and that was a big big goal for us wasn't it Kay, for starting this podcast is you know yeah we started out of um you know necessity for ourselves to keep ourselves being creative and you know keeping our minds straight but we wanted to be uh, ourselves on this and so everything you've seen over the last 31 weeks is us being how we are every single day not you know none of the front so it's almost a an honest photographer podcast <laughs> to a certain extent <laughs> and you know and this yeah. is why we like love to have guests like yourself on james who are genuine and who just speak exactly what it's like no no, no glitz and glamour to kind of, you know, cover things. It's just, this is how it is. This is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on with me. And it's the God's honest truth. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I love what you're doing with The Honest Photographer. It's such oh. a great way to um, yeah. release, <laughs> you know, and to get some great, you know, good advice from people who are feeling the same way. You could understand why I can't just throw it open as a public group, though, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. Because <laughs> then it's like, that's the other point of it is, is that I wanted it to be, I wanted to take all of the bad things from all the other photography groups and just not do them. 
Mm. Um, and, that, and that was and that's basically it and you do and, you, and if you want that you can you can get that from any other groups there's a billion one, one, one groups like that but it's just a simple mm. simple number of changes that that make it quite you know that make it quite easy and, and i'd be quite happy for any content in that group frankly i'd be quite happy for that to be public but the fact it isn't is is what makes it quite unique i think and the way that we invite people in makes mm. it quite unique as well anyone's welcome to, you can find it you can you can go you can just search on facebook you'll find the honest photographer it's not hard to find um but yeah like i said it's just it's just getting that like-minded community of people around you and having no hierarchy what was it rick mail said in his five points to, to leading a successful and full life he says no one can ever truly be your equal and um, sorry no one can ever truly be your master mm. everyone everyone is born equal and and I know that's quite. We've gone deep again. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're talking about Rick Mail going deep, but like yeah. So but like yeah. But no. And I, I think that that point's always struck with me is that no one can ever truly truly rule over you or truly mm. be your master if you're born equal. You know. Okay. So aside from your uh, Facebook group, um, you've also recently changed the way you operate in your business. Um, was that a direct? um response to COVID? was that something that did you spend some time thinking like did you use the time um during the first lockdown to think about well you know here's some changes that i can make to the way that um that my business operates or was that something I mean, you'd always plan well one thing i always say is that um uh, change is inevitable progress is optional no it's the wrong way around no it's the right way around change is inevitable progress is optional so whether you choose to um do, things will always change around you circumstances mm. will always change change is a complete constant of life whether you choose to progress with it is your choice you know um and those that don't tend to get left behind and i think adaptability is the key to anyone who's had any semblance of success in this industry in this year um is, is down to that and, and one of the first things that we decided to do was during the first lockdown we realized that children were home so we produced a series of videos of photographing you know with children around the home and mm. um either taking their portraits and showing mums and dads how to do it which is which is genius it's, it's a master stroke for a man who you know makes most of his money photographing other people's children to show the parents how to do it themselves you can only imagine how pleased my wife was that i chose that <laughs> as an idea um but that went down really well um and then we decided well what, what can we do with parents in lockdown to do something creative with their kids so we did like an online um photographing lego course for any child so oh, basically awesome. we just we just we just you said, look, you can do it with a camera phone. Everyone's got a camera phone. So get them out, get your Lego out, let your imagination run wild. I'm going to show you a few lighting techniques and a few building techniques and a few things to make this set look really interesting. We actually built like a Lego set with Star Wars Lego wow. and, um, and did it all live and online, live and interactive with the children. And that kind of engaged our customers as well, because we know that all of our customers, it's, one, it's like business 101. If you're, say, for example, if you're an equestrian photographer, like you go to a coffee shop to... To, to market your business, you know, you, you're not necessarily going to be massively successful. But if you go to the local stables or the, the coffee shop near the stables or the pub near the, you know, all these in, near the country and all that sort of stuff, it's about trying to find where your market is. And luckily, most of the people on our Facebook group are mums with children who were stuck in lockdown at home with their kids. So that was really, really engaging and interactive. Hmm. See, now, the, the, so there's certain people within the photography business who'd look at that and go, we're not recommending money from it's a waste of time. What are you doing that for? But the point is, is I'm engaging with my clients. I'm reminding them that I'm there. So that when I come back, I'm the first person that they think of. Hmm. And we've offered them something for free to do with their children. And, uh, and it makes me 
more familiar with them as well because ultimately like when i'm photographing children part of the product is the interaction that we have with the with the families as people both me and my wife photographing them making it a fun experience that's something i learned when i've I've worked with venture for four years back in the early 2000s and like 101 was make it an experience make it fun Hmm. that was and personalize it was the second point and like the, all these things, all these priorities of running a photo, photography studio, you go, I went in there as a 23 year old lad, my first photography job, I've been given this like trainee photographer job and I'm like, okay, venture, yeah, this is like, oh, look at these amazing portraits. Wow, I bet the photographers are really important to this brand. No, <laughs> like the brand's really important to the brand. The experience is really important to the brand. <laughs> Sourcing the customers is really important to the brand. The sales process is really important to the brand. The products are really important to the brand. You eventually go down, 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 down the list. Oh. The quality of the photography, and I'm not saying the quality of the photography wasn't good because at the top it was very, very good. But ultimately what you're selling them is, is, an, is an experience, is, oh. is, is, is that. And, and I think so much of retail has changed that way. The high street is dying, not because not necessarily just because you can get everything online. The high street is dying because it's a, it's, it's not fun. Mm. It's not fun to find a parking space and be charged 10 pounds upwards for it. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to be out on the streets, you know, stuck in queues and it's not fun to, to, to go to a shop and not feel welcome and be stuck in another queue in the shop. But, but all of yeah. the sex, successful retail outlets that, that are make it, that are succeeding. You take a brand like Lush, Lush, right. is open in lockdown too. Don't ask me how. I don't know why they're an essential business, right? <laughs> but I, th- I assume it's because they do click and collect and they also do antibacterial stuff, right? But I visited Lush towards the end of, or just after lockdown one, and like mm. you're welcomed on the way in and then they made an adjustment. They changed. They progressed with the change because they they, they had free samples of soap and hand washing and sanitizing stations. They invited mm. you to go there and choose the soap that you wanted to sanitize with. Mm. okay so i'm there with my daughter going which one do you want which one should i have daddy will do it this way we do this way is there anything Mm. we can help you with today we can show you this way would you like to try oh and it's an experience Mm. and we struggle in the like we struggle in the uk with service i genuinely believe that um at at some levels we really struggle with service at other levels we don't i think we're really really good at it but having spent a lot of time out in america and stuff and particularly the retail experience out there and a lot of people at this side of the pond scoff at it they scoff at this sort of like, have a nice day, sir, and all that sort of nonsense. But it works because you're making people feel welcome. And I think in terms of photography, bringing it back into that, I've gone around the houses here, apologies again. But in terms of photography and running a successful photographic studio, particularly for family portraits, people buy people. They mm. buy you. They buy the experience and the way that you make them feel and the little things that you do to personalize that and the warm-up calls that you make beforehand and the things you get to find out about them and, and the fact that you, that in some instances, you can you can get them to put together a mood palette from like Pinterest, you know, get mum to do a mood palette one evening and you'll just see like trends of colors and trends of this and, and all these little things that you can key into. And in the few sessions that we shot in the period between the two lockdowns, we changed the way that we did the sales process in here. So behind me now is a reveal wall, which we've started to do because I realized that I got stuck in a rut. I got stuck in a rut of producing great digital images, of producing great digital slideshows. Um, but the sales process wasn't really complete because mm. as good as they look, they weren't tangible things. Digital file isn't a tangible thing but a thing that you hold in a nicely presented mount that is a surprise is a very difficult thing to resist at the sales 
mm. point of the process, you know? And I think that's what I've tried to change about our studio photography side of things in this downtime is that end bit mm. and the beginning bit as well, getting to know the customers and, and, and that, but the end bit, the sales bit as well, and, and making sure that that's as much of an experience as the shoot was. It's funny that, you know, I think, I think about this, um, quite often because uh you know my wife's uh canadian and i'm like half my family live in canada and so um you know we, we experience that that difference um all the time when it comes to like service for example you know when you go to and you know it could just be like a cafe for example or um or a bagel store right so it doesn't have to be it doesn't even have to be like a, a big store or whatever but um what, one of the things I really uh, focused in on during, uh, especially during the first lockdown, was that um, I wanted to support small businesses. You know, the kind of the one-man bands, the, the the tiny little businesses that were really, really struggling. And so, uh, the first thing I did was I, I I needed to because I realized I was going to be working from home for quite a long time. I needed to kind of dogs going crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so I had to kind of set up a workspace for myself, and and so I needed to buy a desk. And you know, under normal circumstances, pre pre COVID, I would have probably gone to some I don't know furniture store, you know, like IKEA or something like that, and bought a desk and you know be done with it. Um, but in this uh, in this instance, I kind of thought, you know what, um, there are going to be small uh, furniture makers who are going to be out there. They're going to be like you know building kind of bespoke things out of their you know garage or something and these people need supporting especially at a time like this so you know i, I was on the lookout for uh, for somebody who could basically build me a tabletop you know like a desk which is the, the one that you see behind me um and the whole process was really interesting and when i finally it took quite a long time but when i finally received the desk and then you know talked to uh thomas and talked to a guy you know afterwards and you know, he gave me lots of tips of like how to look after it and how to oil it and blow and all this kind of stuff. You know, I really realized that this is the kind of service, you know, the kind of aftercare and the kind of communication that you just don't get. When you walk into IKEA, you, you know, you figure out what you want, what aisle it is in, and then you go to aisle 14, shelf number two, pick up the copper <laughs> box, you go home and you put all thing together and that is it, you know. Um, it's a completely yeah. different um, experience. And as a consequence, of course, I value that much more. Like... You know, um, so it's, you know, it's, if it's taught, I, I don't know, if it's taught me, one thing is that um, whilst previously I wouldn't have really paid much attention to that, but I'm definitely paying a lot more attention to like, you know, um, either small, kind of smaller companies and small manufacturers. Um, ha- having right. said that, IKEA is quite smart, like in the way that it sells mm. as an experience, because it is. It is an experience because primarily they put room sets together, mm-hmm. which is an imagination technique that you sure. use to sort of say you could you could have a room that looks just like this. Mm-hmm. But you'll need all of this thing, all these things. They have the the add-ons like the candles and all the the little utensils for your kitchen. They're placed yeah. at a specific point in the process where you're just like adding stuff in, adding stuff in. So you never you that psychologically you're never reserved. You could never no. go into IKEA, never go into IKEA wanting to buy a chair and coming out with a chair. Of course. You would always no come out with more stuff, you know. It's <laughs> smart as hell. But I, I, I take your point as well. And I think that there's a lot of, 
I think that's one of the positives coming out of this is that there's a lot more awareness of local businesses. Yeah, absolutely. A lot more awareness of the position and responsibilities of billionaires in our society, not mm. wishing to get political, but I think there's more awareness of that now than mm. there ever has been. And I think there's a lot of sympathy, empathy and support out there for local businesses who and, and family run businesses and, 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 and these stories attached to them through the struggles of just keeping yeah. a business and keeping a roof over your head. And I think that there's going to be a lot of support for those businesses mm. over Christmas and yeah. into the next year. I'm currently drawing up a list of all these local suppliers that I'm going to be posting on all my social media channels for other people to support because mm. I want them to go there rather than to Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I I, uh, I was really uh, very impressed with, and I, I really you know um, I find it really quite um, astonishing was um, your portrait of a wrestler, yes, um, series. And so um, I wanted to talk to you about how you got into like specifically into photographing wrestling specifically. Like what made like I can see sports photography just generally, but what made you so focus on wrestling specifically? Well, I, think, I think the difference. The difference between like wrestling and doing just general sports photography is that sports photography, you're you're essentially, um, if you're doing live sports, you're waiting for something to happen. Hmm. And if you get posted to a boring nil-nil Grimsby versus Doncaster on a Tuesday night, I don't know why I picked on those two teams, hmm. but if you just if you just posted to one of those and nothing's happening, it's very difficult to get something creative. And I think that the appeal of the wrestling is that these guys are characters putting on a performance art for a show. Um, and they understood their characters implicitly. Plus, they all looked, you had everything from in terms of physical shapes, in terms of costumes, in terms of, you know, uh, colours, creeds, all these sorts of things. And, and it was just a fascinating, fascinating look into this art form that, um, that sort of, that just did, had so many stories to tell, I think. And I think that's, that's what portraiture is, essentially. Portraiture mm. is essentially just the art of telling stories. Through through sort of like um, through the photographic medium, uh, in in regards to portrait photography, um, so yeah, I just I needed a project to go for this sort of fellowship qualification within these institutes, and mm -hmm. I just thought these it just seemed to be a natural fit. I, I was sort of a fan growing up, um, and I just started off with like the local wrestlers near to me, got to know them. And then because it's like a magic circle kind of thing, you kind of, you know, you, once you're in, you're in kind of thing. I just got, I just kept getting recommended to other wrestlers, you know, and within two months, I kind of shot enough wrestlers for the panel and thought, well, that'll do, that's it. And then I continued shooting it for the next six years. Hmm. <laughs> so what, what sort of uh, thing, what sort of, uh, what kind of uh, images did you put together for your panel? Were they like, like action shots or were they uh, specific like portraits? settings they're all, they're all half length portraits um on black backgrounds in black and white most of them were a one light setup as well mm. so because what my studio is here so it's like it's a very very limited space so it's just a case of like i tell this story all the time i'll tell it to you now but i mean i i, I had a, a a photographic critique given to me in about 2005 mm. um when i was working I was working for venture and we had like this big regional meeting with all these 20 studios would come along on this one day and every photographer from the studio would bring a 10 by 8 of their best shot from the last month and um we'd put it on the desk in front of the head photographer and he'd critique it in front of the whole room and i'd taken an image using all 12 lights that were in the studio there were 12 flash heads so i used them all hmm. all with different modifiers a gobo a snoo a honeycomb a big softbox all this of this couple with this dog 
and I thought, oh, this is brilliant because this is going to be 12 times better than the light than the image shot with one light because I've used 12 of them and that <laughs> and the head photographer is going to see that and tell me how brilliant I am. So I took it up to the front. I was first up, so confident, and he spent 10 minutes tearing it to pieces. Ooh, okay. Said so the composition, focus, lack of control over the exposure, no expression, processing. It's been printed terribly. You know, I can't get a feeling for the relationship between the two of them. There's shadows everywhere. There's blown out highlights. It's a mess. And he said, why are you trying to use 12 lights when you don't even understand how to use one? Hmm. How, how did you and react that was, to that? That was my critique in front of my peers. <laughs> and I took that and I just, I thought that, that was genuinely a bit of a sliding doors moment because I could have gone that and dropping a, uh, that and dropping a 5,000 pound camera on my first day in the studio from the top of a ladder. Those are my two sliding door moments. <laughs> but going back to the critique one, I kind of went, okay, well, I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to turn off 11 lights and start using one. And I used the same theory when I went for my fellowship. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to complicate this. I'm going to just make it easy. And actually using one light was was probably the best decision I could have made because it made me focus on those characters, made me focus on the physiques, made me focus on the stories, made me focus on the expression, made me focus on really getting these images to leap out at you. And because these guys are trained, as much in athleticism as they are in acting, getting their personalities across was actually really, really easy. Hmm. Um, and that's why the panel, I think, was so successful. Um, and I think on, on the bigger scale of things, I added an element of professionalism to an industry that didn't have it from for in, in that side. There, you know, And I'm not taking anything away from who, anyone who's working in the creative on that industry at the time. Um, but I think, I think I managed to, outside of the big American companies, specifically WWE, but there are some other ones as well, outside of them on the independents, um, there wasn't really that quality of presentation. So all of the shows looked a bit cheap and, you know, a bit kind of five pound a ticket kind of thing, popcorns free kind of thing. And I think I just bought a little bit of a different thing. And then, and then before you know it, like you got lots of promotions chasing you to work to drive to Nottingham for 20 quid mm. yeah. <laughs> and come back because there's no money in it. But like for, in terms of building up a portfolio of work, I would take those jobs because they were creative and they were getting me, I was, you know, I was doing well in competitions with the, with, with the images as well. And then eventually I managed to work myself up to a position where, you know, we'd be invited to sort of big super shows with, with the bigger brands, you know, and then I think probably the best bit was, was getting a flight back from Chicago. And as I'm in the taxi on the way back, the, uh, the billboard for the show that I've just shot at is, is up on the freeway, massive, with all of my images up on there. Oh, awesome. And I was like, wow, that's, I had one, someone sent a fan sent it to me on Twitter. They said, I've just seen your, I've just seen your image on um, Las Vegas Boulevard on, on the massive billboard above the Walgreens. And they showed me a picture <laughs> of it, it's huge. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well that's that then, I've peaked. Can't do any more than that. Time to do something else, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> I had a similar, I had a similar feeling when, um, when some of my images, um, some of my headshots appeared on on a billboard on the Ring Road in Watford. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hey. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. Well, I mean, no, you know. Right. My idea of success in two thousand and two yeah. was to get my image printed in the Daily Echo in Bournemouth. Yeah, absolutely. And I did it, and my dad still got that image up on his wall. We framed it. Mm. That's that's it. He thinks I peaked then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, I mean, it is, it is fun. Um, I think. I think for any creative, you know, it's um, it's almost sort of a it's a form of reaffirmation when, you know, when you see your images being used 
um, and displayed, you know, in public, for example, where you know people can people can see them. Um, yeah. You know whether that's you know whether that's commercially on a billboard or something like that, or whether it's in an exhibition, for example. Um, I've I've always kept out of the competitive side um, of uh, of photography, although I've had a number of um, of sort of of experiences where I've had images in, in exhibitions that I've always found actually is quite satisfying. Um, Why you have know. you kept out of the competitive side of it, may I ask? Why? Actually, to be honest, for no reason, uh, no particular reason at all. It was, um, I think, you know, when 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 I moved down to this area, um, my wife, I got married and basically we moved to, uh, to Brickmansworth, where we live now. Um, and I didn't know anybody here. Like I, I, do, I had no friends here, you know, I didn't know anybody. And my wife suggested to me that I would um, look up the local camera club, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of thought, I'd never been a member of a camera club before, so I kind of thought, well, that's okay, I can, you know, that might be all right. You know, I can hang out with fellow camera nerds, you know, sounds like, sounds like a good idea. Um, but what I wasn't really aware of was the fact that um, the, the camera club was largely based around competitions and that had never entered my mind at all you know and so um and you know the competitions the judging of it and you know at first i kind of you know I, I found it very interesting and it was actually it was certainly a learning experience listening to a judge critique images because actually you can even if you haven't ended any of your own images you can definitely take a lot away from that um mm. you know because you're because if somebody talks about images you look at the same image sometimes you agree sometimes you don't agree sometimes the judge men, uh, mentions something that you hadn't realized you know at first sight um and, and it's definitely it's been a very uh, you know i found it a very valuable um experience um the thing that to be absolutely honest the thing that's kept me away from um from entering competitions by and large were actually deadlines <laughs> <laughs> okay so that was really just the thing um i'm very competitive actually as a person so it you know it seems natural that i should get involved in com in competitions when it comes to photography but uh, i have I'm, I'm not very good with creative deadlines and okay. as, you know and as far as the camera club was concerned like their competition was like you know deadline is on sunday night that's uh, at midnight, and if you enter your image at one minute past midnight, then it will not be included in the competition. I'm like, oh, screw that, <laughs> you know. You see, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we get that. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I I Been need there. a yeah. deadline to yeah, basically do. get <laughs> to get anything done. Yeah, I've got to have a deadline, otherwise I'm not yeah. going to do it. <laughs> so if it, okay, um, okay, yeah, that's interesting. I I just hmm. think I I don't I think because. I think what uh, what you allude to at the beginning is, is 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 very interesting in terms of getting the feedback is helpful. Oh, absolutely. Whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't 100%. matter because you it's it's not feedback isn't wrong if it's someone's opinion because sure. you can't be wrong in your opinion, right? Mm. Um, now, um, what what I struggle with, and I can empathise with this, is entering a competition and not getting feedback. Just entering a competition and just being told, yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yes even worse. No, exactly. Basically, that's really tough, mm. right? We, I, what I've done, one of the things that I've done during lockdown to try and adapt my business and change was I offered free portfolio reviews, particularly in my little wrestling photography groups as well, mm -hmm. to, to 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 other people, um, just to submit ten images, and I'll just give you a free video review of them as to what I think of them. We call mm. them reviews rather than critiques because I'm not critical of anything, I suppose, mm. um, but. 
all I was really surprised because I thought, okay, I'm in, I'm going to have a fight here on some of these people. I'm going to have a bit of a ding dong when they see their video and they don't agree. I can't tell you, 100%, I've done about 20 of them now, 100% positive feedback from everyone who submitted to me mm. in terms of like, in terms of what they've received and how they've, how they've always said, or oh, I've seen, you said, you said things that I would, that I didn't see in my image and I'm going to take that forward. Mm. And they've started watching everyone else's videos as well, because I put them up on my YouTube channel. So they've started watching everyone else's videos and getting more learning that way. And I think that's a massive way to progress is to take that. It's, it's one of the hardest things to do is to put something you care about up for other people mm -hmm. to give their opinion on. That is tough, you know, and that, but it's a necessary part of progressing to the next stage because we do, we, we also do it every time we put an image in front of a customer as well. Yeah. That's the other thing is you, and, and, and disassociating yourself from, that and accepting other people's opinions is really mm. really important i've learned um through through entering into competitions uh, very early on like i said i don't do it very often but um, on the very rare occasion i do it um there's two things first of all okay. I mean, you're a listening to uh, to um critiques of um of images uh, in a genre of photography that 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 i personally don't have a lot of experience in. that's interesting because it, it means i can learn something about a subject that I don't know very much about, and that's very useful. Um, but the other thing is also, I found yeah. it, I found it quite useful because it allows me to measure my own progress. You know, as as a photographer and as an artist, um, I, I'll give you an example. Like very early on in my career, um, I entered some I entered a series of black and white shots, and and the judge I remember looked at them and was like, well, you know, they're really quite flat. There's a lot of gray in there. You know, they isn't they're not contrasty enough, and da da da. And you know the black point isn't really black, and the white point is really white. It's just kind of very murky and wishy-washy and whatnot. And at the time, I kind of thought, oh, you know, how dare him? You know, I guess um, I just like them the way they are. Blah blah. You know, and of course now when I look at the very same prints, I'm like, yeah, it's totally right. There really is no contrast. <laughs> they really look totally murky. <laughs> I would totally shoot them completely differently now, of course, you know. But it just goes to show that you know. Um, I can really see how I've progressed. I mean, just like um, I used to do exactly the same thing as a musician. You know, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to record myself playing something on the guitar, um, something that you know I felt like was was super awesome, and then I would listen back to it about six months later, only to realize that it was complete and utter rubbish. <laughs> no, I think that's part of everyone's creative process, isn't it? Is mm. to um is is to is to progress and you and keeping old work actually is really really key to that hmm. i show in a lot of my seminars some work that's 15 years old and even older than that um just again going back to the honest photographer thing to sort of show that yeah no i was at that stage too oh yeah you know no one no one was born taking these amazing images it all comes from development and time you know yeah yeah, actually, in fact, you're absolutely right, because I do exactly the same thing. I hold a lot of talks um, about concert photography, because that's when, that's how I started um, in photography originally. Because, you know, yeah. imagine I used to be a musician for 25 years or whatever. I'm still a musician, but I used to you know, be um, a performing musician. And then I literally just switched from being on the stage to being off the stage, shooting all the stuff that was going on on the stage. And, um, and that's kind of, that was my route mm -hmm. into professional photography. Um, and... Uh, and I do, I kind of do exactly the same thing where I show some, you know, uh, some images 
from you know when I first started shooting concerts, for example, um, on a you know on a like a crop sensor camera with you know I don't know a, a fifty mil prime lens or something like that, um, and you can really see the difference between that and uh, and more more sort of recent shots. It's just because there's a whole lot of it's not only experience, of course, that that's gone into uh, years of doing that, but also you know you've you've adapted your gear for the purpose. You know, I didn't know at the time mm -hmm. that what you know the gear that I was using was really not suited for a low light type of scenario and so on and so forth. So um, it, it just shows progress, you know, over time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, no, and yeah, that's it. And 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 like I said, that's why it's important to always take it's the Kipling line, isn't it? Treat uh, triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. You know, <laughs> particularly when you're receiving feedback on your images to. Yeah to deal with that. And that's why I think that's, and, and you try and do that at competition as well. So like, particularly if it's a competition for like, where like one image wins mm. and that's a lottery, that isn't that the winning image is probably very, very good. It probably one of the best images that entered doesn't mm. necessarily mean that it was the winner. It just won that particular competition at that point in time, which mm. is why I like qualification panels so much. I prefer mm. them because you're putting together 20 pieces of work for most of these associations, you're putting together 20 images from the same thing, you know, and telling a story through that. And you see, mm. as I've judged and mentored so many qualification panels that have been really emotional, like really emotional mm. nuts and bolts stuff, real life changing stuff for people. And I think mm. that's, you know, that's, that's where, and, that, and that's something I spoke at length last night with one of my colleagues about, about spending the next year reinforcing the value of print, not with customers, because I can I'm, I'm going to do that anyway, but mm. reinforcing the value of print with photographers. I've realized that at 42 years old, I'm of a generation now that's a couple of generations ahead of of, of where everyone's coming through from now, you know, from like school age, you know, that mm. sort of thing. So I've still got this darkroom experience. I can still bleat on about that if you want me to i've still got the smell of the chemicals and all that sort mm. of nonsense i still remember negatives but like <laughs> um but like ultimately we've 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 got a generation mm. now that don't not forget the dark room they don't even know what a print is yeah right and and there's something like we're gonna next year we're gonna have some gallery space right where we're gonna do a succession of different art galleries mm. to showcase local artists but one of them we're gonna do is i'm just gonna have like a an under 16s photography competition and we're going to take their digital files and we're going to print them for them hmm. and we're going to hang them and you're going to see a, th a real tangible thing and i think hmm. photographers the they there is a real value to being proud of a framed finished print yeah that's that thing it don't respond it don't respond to thumbs it don't respond to likes hmm. it doesn't respond to retweets it doesn't respond to any of that but it responds when someone holds it, when someone sees it hanging, when someone's in a gallery viewing around and giving mm. their opinion on it, that's that's got a much more appearing and dearing quality. And the experience, particularly with particularly with young photographers, the experience of seeing their images hanging, the experience of seeing mm. people react to them. Because you like if someone reacts to a photo you've po posted on Instagram, it's a heart on a screen. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And then it and then it just adds to the total of numbers. Mm. So I'll I'll post a photo this afternoon or whatever, and I'll look at my phone after a couple of hours and go, seventy five likes. Are you serious? 
Now, the fact is, what's happened there is 75 people have seen that from all around the world and, and, have, and have gone, oh, God, that's really, and reacted to it, right? Mm. But I'm disappointed by that. But if I'm in a gallery and I'm and I'm and I'm in the gallery and there are people seeing my work and reacting to it, actual reactions to tangible mm. things is such a different experience. And I think that's where there's there's such a value to photography as an art form. Like there's a, 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 one of my videos on my YouTube channel is about um, uh, Fernando Medina's shot of um, Michael Jordan shooting a point against Utah Jazz that was mm -hmm. featured in the Netflix documentary. Mm -hmm. But it's a still image of Jordan shooting this winning shot with the crowd behind him. And of course, Chicago Bulls are away. They're playing away from home, playing in Utah. Mm -hmm. And it's the winning shot for the Bulls. And you see all these faces in the background just like <gasps> disappointed and angry and frustrated and trying to keep it out of the net and all this. And then there's this one kid right in the far corner in a Chicago Bulls mm -hmm. jersey just like this just celebrating <laughs> yeah. and it's and it's and that's the beauty of photography in that it's a moment in time that cannot be replicated mm. and that's what you present when you present a print and 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 i think i think there's real value in that that i don't want lost on mm. this generation and the generations to follow you know not two days ago me and me and kirsten were talking about why aren't we printing not two days ago we were saying the same th we're coming at it from a slightly different angle but I can't believe that, that you've just said that. So here's the example, right? Here's the example I used last night. So in the gap between the two lockdowns, a friend of um, my, my, my little five-year-old's best friend, right, mm. at school, she needed a passport doing. So her mum bought around for a passport photo. Easy, you know, mm. boom, whatever. That's why I win the fellowship, so I can knock out good passport photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so I just did it, bang, whatever. And then... When they were upstairs together, my daughter and, and, and her daughter, they were just messing about. And I just got them to sit in front of the camera, made them laugh, took a quick picture, boom. Now I had two options, right? While everyone's downstairs chatting and having lunch and whatever, and I'm processing the passport photos, I've got the printer running because they need passport images, right? I'm like, mm. I've got two options. I can save this as a JPEG and send it to her on WhatsApp or whatever. Or mm. I thought I can just do a quick print. Did a quick print, put it in a little mount of them two playing together and um and took it downstairs and i guarantee you if i'd have sent it on whatsapp she'd have got the phone she goes oh my god that's lovely oh brilliant and then closed the phone right mm. because she got the print it was a surprise first of all she didn't think she was mm. getting it number two she got it out looked at it kept looking at it put it away and then looked at it again mm -hmm. and and had this thing that she was and then when it, when a little girl comes, she's, oh, be careful. Don't touch it. Da, 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 da. And there's a care about it because it's a tangible mm. thing. I think a lot of the time with the digital media, we're so used to cloud storage and backup and the fact that if I, se if I send an image to you mm. and you lose it or whatever, you delete it accidentally, you just go, oh, James, just resend me that image. Mm -hmm. Like it's completely replaceable, mm. but this thing isn't. Yeah. And then when she left, it was like, if we make sure we've got that, don't, I won't put it in the bags, it'll get crushed. Ah, oh. you know, and just that little thing, it just makes such a difference. Yeah. It's a huge difference. See, I, 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 to I totally agree with you because, uh, so in my, typically in my line of work, I, I shoot a lot of conferences. There's a lot of corporate, um, a lot of corporate stuff that I do. And of course, everything's yeah. digital. Everything has to, has to be delivered yeah. like yesterday. And it's like, it's all about digital files. And, you know, and so there's virtually no printing involved at all, which is why I don't even have a printer. 
you know, because I don't right. I don't actually have to print. And um, and so occasionally I kind of think like, oh man, I really missed that. So I need to sort of do something about it. Um, because I have to print so rarely, um, I use a lab. So I don't have, you know, like I said, I don't have a printer at home. Um, but it occurred to me at a, I was at a conference um, in Hungary in March, March late late February, something like that. And it's this thing, you know, where you work with the, the AV team and you work with, uh, you know, the conference team or whatever. And some of the, some of the people you know because you worked with them on other conferences before and whatever. And everybody exchanges business cards. And you know, you know what it's like. Like business cards, you have a pile of business cards. You never look at them. It's a complete waste of time. You know, you probably yeah. lose half of them. It's it's nonsense. And then, of course, you can have yeah. you can do this thing where you have like digital uh, business cards, where you have like an app and you scan the thing. And but you never look at these either. I mean, this is in your phone, just amongst a million other things, and you never look at them. So I kind of thought, okay, so what? You know, how would it be if how would it be if I if I if I got a Polaroid and I took some Polaroid like portraits of the people that mean a lot to me, and I print them up right there and then. You know, I put a stick on the back or I write something on it with my contact details and give them that. That will be something they will keep, they will look at, and it will be a lot more meaningful and a lot more tangible than just, uh, you know, just another business card that just goes into somebody's wallet or not, or, you know, or you use it as a, I don't know, scratch your windscreen when it's icy or whatever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I love, I love that, right? So, sorry, I'm going to go off on one again, right? These Instax Polaroids are brilliant, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't take a camera on holiday. Mm. I turn my phone off when I'm on holiday, but we take uh, an Instax with two packets of film. Mm-hmm. And we let the kids take a few photos and we try and take a photo every day and we try and get everyone together and really mm. position it and make them really, really cool moments, right? And then they hack, that's our memory of our holiday hung up on our wall. And some of my favorite images mm. are about this big mm-hmm. right, that I've ever taken because they're just great memories and they're real things. And you're keeping a documentary holiday as you go on. Mm. The first time I bought it, I bought my Instax in Fifth Avenue, New York City, right? So I'm going around New York with this thing, trying to be an artsy Polaroid photographer, taking pictures of skyscrapers and stuff like that, whatever, failing, yeah. dreadfully. And then we, my wife and I decide that we're going to go up the Empire State Building. I go up the Empire State Building, go to the top, think, oh, take a picture of that. Oh, look, it's loads of buildings. Well done. And then we went right up to the crow's nest, which is just above the viewing observatory, right? Mm-hmm. It's a crow's nest bit, right? Right at the top, scary as hell, right? And there's a woman up there who won't open her eyes. She literally won't open her eyes. She's like, no, I'm scared. And she's with like friends and stuff like that around. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, 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 I'm too scared. I'm too scared. And there's this, this old lady who, who worked, who worked at the observatory, who knows everything about New York. She's got this thick Brooklyn accent. And she's, and she's like, I, you know, we see this all the time. I don't want you to worry. I want you to hold my hand and I'm going to give you a guided tour of New York City. Just in this little, it's like 10 meters long, if anything, mm. this little room. It's tiny, five meters long. It's not in five meters long, it's a tiny little room. And she goes, I just want you to, you're going to hold my hand, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see. And then she opened her eyes, just like, oh, wow, it's amazing. I can't believe I got over my fear. I just took a photo of that on my Polaroid. Mm-hmm. Just a real quick snap, boom, boom, like that. And I just, as she left, this woman um, who'd conquered her fear, I just gave her that and I said, oh, that was the moment that you mm. conquered your fear and you opened your eyes. And she was like, oh, wow. And I hope, I hope she's still got that to this day, mm. like this tiny little photo. But it's just, it's that, that tangibility, that, that, that thing, Nick's point, if we don't do that ourselves in the business that we claim to represent, mm. then why would we expect our customers to do that? And I appreciate 
going to your point, Kirsten, that like every commercial photographer switched off now because <laughs> <laughs> they don't yeah. deal with print. Yeah, but like, I think I think like for for everyone else, it's it's such a it's such an important thing. It absolutely is. It's it's like a it's like a lost art, you know. Because it's it's funny you mentioned the you know the smell of chemicals earlier and stuff. Because I remember this from my dad. My dad used to um, develop a black and white film in the bathroom. You know, like bathroom used to be locked up, and you know the red light would come out, <laughs> and you know everything would be uh, you know blacked out and everything. And um, and he would he would develop uh, his black mm-hmm. and white you know stuff in there. Um, and it's just really something that. I, I personally, I've never, I'm such a child of the digital world, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I've never really actually got involved with very much, uh, with, you know, developing film, well, film photography on one hand, that's, that's one thing. Um, but also, uh, but also printing has never been something that I had to do a lot of. And, um, and so I have been looking at, you know, at panels, I've been looking at the MPN looking at things like fellowships and stuff, um, especially after I talked to Scott about all that uh, sort of thing as well. Um, and, you know, wh- what I find very attractive is the whole uh, the whole printing part. How are you going to change the way that you're operating your business um, in the future, like say in 2021, compared to how you're operating it in 2019? We're going to be facilitating our diary to shooting on more specific days rather than just opening ourselves up and just asking when can you come in and see us Mm -hmm. so i think the the theme will be we are doing these portrait days exclusive portrait days um Mm -hmm. uh and and when would you like to book in on those specific days and i think reconstructing our workflow Mm -hmm. to being more efficient um i think you can when you work for yourself i mean my wife and i work together on the same business so so we're stretched all the time um and and i think manipulating that that better to be more efficient is is probably the biggest change that we're going to make that means that we'll be able to manage people in a more covid safe way as well uh while this is still around um we've already put procedures in place we tested it um between the two lockdowns um about how to shoot safely um the print foundry which is our i'm an ambassador for them in croydon Mm -hmm. they provided us with free ppe gear right at the start of the first lockdown just literally without even being asked they sent it to they sent me a package with a visor and masks and it's all branded it's all got my logo on it and um uh, and all these signage and hand sanitizer two massive bottles of hand sanitizer and stuff so and, and and i think the one thing that i keep coming back to throughout all of this is that you can only control the things that you can control. So don't worry about the things that are out of your control. But most importantly, when we're dealing with customers, is that we can't control customer confidence. Mm-hmm. I can reinforce customer confidence if customer confidence is good, and I can make it you know, superb with the things that we put in place to make the space safe. But if customer confidence isn't there to come back and use us because they don't feel safe and they don't feel it's a safe world, I can't control that. Mm-hmm. And I have to, at the same time, respect it. And this is the thing that came up in the Park Run podcast when they interviewed the guy that, um, Julian, I forget his name, um, but the, the, the guy started the Park Runs uh, all up and down the UK. Mm-hmm. And they were discussing about potentially coming back in October, which never happened. And the massive thing that from this level in terms of the environment and the confidence in, in, in the pandemic. Um, so, and I think that's one thing that we really, really need to do.
How you how have you found when you have done shoots in between these lockdowns? How have you found that your customers, your clients, have been um, sort of reacting to to the situation in the studio? Are you also finding that your level of work has remained the same given the restrictions that you've got in place? Uh, level of work hasn't. I mean, it's dipped off. I mean, long story short, in March, in one week in March. I lost all of my bookings for the entire year. So my diary just emptied. It was done. When we started to reopen, we actually found confidence was quite high and he filled up three days worth of portraits quite quickly. Um, But, you know, towards the end of that period, there were rumours of the second lockdown and we started to notice that people were were dropping off. But the the lockdown rumours, I can't control. I can't control whether this country's in a lockdown or not. So I can only react to it. Um, I find the people that are coming that are booking in are confident anyway because they're booking so I mean that's kind of like a bit of a tell isn't it that if they're booking for a session they're probably quite confident Um, but yeah it's just it's just it's just maintaining a real clear dialogue clear communication when everyone comes in when anyone comes into our studio or the studio we were using at the time, there was social distancing. We greeted them with masks. We temperature checked everyone. We made sure everyone's hands were sanitized before we even started. And then we had a good clear chat with the parents away from the kids about what they were comfortable and what they weren't comfortable doing. Cause that was the other thing, not to really talk about it in front of the kids that much. Cause I didn't, you know, having kids myself, I didn't want to, they got other things to worry about other than, you know, face masks and things like that. So yeah, but we found people very, very receptive. I hadn't really considered it in that way that, you know, because they're booking, actually they've already got that degree of confidence there and they're happy. And that's, that's a really good point. And that, 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 you know, switches on a couple of uh, things in my head um, when, when you said that. That's a, that's a really interesting way to think about it. And you know, like you say, you can't control that, um, how, how they're actually going to feel and react to it, but you can inf- reinforce it, like you say. I love that. The, the worst thing, exactly, and the worst thing you can do, which is if, even if you're a sceptic or whatever, which I think is borderline insulting if you're, if you're a sceptic, but even if you are, the worst thing you can do is, is to try and push that on someone else. You know, because you, you, like I said, you're just dealing with a massive range of emotions from people. And, it's, and that's the, we should have that as portrait. If you don't have that as a portrait photographer, get another job. The ability to listen, the ability to show empathy, the ability to show yeah. understanding as some of the key characteristics and really successful portrait photographers i think and yeah like like you say i think eventually we'll eventually it will come it's coming back um eventually it will come it will come back around um i don't know how um how uh robust i want to get on this chat but i i feel i i feel there might be a changing of the guard in terms of the industry going into 2021 in terms of the businesses that come out the other side of it Mm. Really, I really, I really do. Are you? Are you? Change- I, th- I think there's a. Di- so, if if we compare it, sorry, if I may, if we compare it to, um, say, the the global financial crash, which is when I bought my first house. Um, was uh, so that was back in two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. A lot of people came out of that after having long term jobs in the city, with good redundancy packages and a want to move into a creative industry with those redundancy packages, Mm. which bought them the best cameras, which then got them into the industry, which then created uh, more competition in the marketplace and a dilution in the marketplace. That's the the way I saw it from that point. 
juxtapose that with what's happening now. I don't think that 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 loss of jobs is 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 happening in the same way. You know, I think people may be being forced into creative industries, but not necessarily not necessarily the same ones. Uh, and I think what it's done is it's it's a very the pandemic is a very very relatable crisis to people. The global financial crisis possibly isn't like who cares about mortgage bonds and stocks and shares you know generally you know a bunch of hedge fund managers either got rich or didn't get rich off the back of it Mm. whereas with the global pandemic it's much more i know people that have died because of it Mm. i know people have got seriously ill because of it i know people who have got ill but not ill because (laughs) of it because of the way the virus works Mm. and that brings it to a very very human level and the fact of the matter is, is that is that this this pandemic has affected almost every business in a very relatable way, and I think that's quite important for our for our business sector, if that makes sense. Um, and I think the people that come out the other side of it in this industry will be, I I I, I, could, I can only speak for myself. I think I'm going to be a better businessman and a better business in 2021 because mm. of 2020. Did you change uh, what you should? as well as how you like how you structure your your day-to-day um, business i mean did you did you diversify now as a result of COVID, or i've actually done the opposite i've gone the other way so like the wrestling thing has taken a complete backseat it had to anyway because there's no wrestling show <laughs> and even if there was wrestling shows there's no money in wrestling shows mm. so i've had to really look at that and go well one i've pretty much parked it to be honest mm-hmm. uh and i've gone okay well let's have a look at the business what's making us money the start of this year, our plan was was to work with every local business in Portsmouth. I want to work with every local independent business in Portsmouth and produce social media video content for them. I wanted to produce headshots for them. I wanted to consult with them on a social media level, on a marketing level, because I feel like I understand that better than a lot of businesses, which I feel like I'm missing a trick with it. Mm. And we really wanted to build up a base of clients that way. We got into February and we booked up um, 12 corporate shoots throughout the year in the first like first week of February when we made the decision. We booked 12 shoots, boom, done, working with local businesses, just like ourselves, fantastic, completely relatable. And then that week in March, it all went, disappeared. Mm. So now the, the process of... So we can't really produce videos, I suppose. We can't. We have done a few little videos, but they're quite time-consuming as well to do. It's nice to offer it as a service, but they're quite time-consuming to do. So what we've done is, like I said, we've gone. Okay, what can we make money from? Christmas video, con- uh, sorry, Christmas family photo shoots in the small time frame that we can do. We've we've done them, and now I've got to wait until December before before we do the previews, before we do the sales. Mm. But what the other thing we can do is we can give back, and I think one of the things we're going to be doing is offering speaking of the videos um it hasn't been officially announced so this is the first time i'm going to be announcing it but for a children's charity we're going to be um producing my father-in-law is a former vicar who looks exactly like santa claus right (laughs) exactly like santa claus (laughs) unbelievable resemblance big bushy white beard the white bits of the hair with the boldy bit on top rosy cheeks all that he's got a little pair of glasses he actually got talent scouted by the local garden center to do the meet santa for the last two years he got he got stopped in the shopping center say could we could we offer you a job and he's like well i'm retired now and he goes yeah well and, and then took it so we get he's agreed to do this what we're going to do is that we're going to put it out there that our customers can put a donation to this kids charity and what we'll do is we'll video him dressed as father christmas giving a christmas message to their children 
Hmm. That's all it is. Just a little Christmas message. We name check the children. We say we've received your list and we'll try our best. It's a difficult time of year. Santa's very busy and it's very difficult. And, um, and, and just telling them to be good because Christmas is something to look forward to. Hmm. It's free for us to produce. It doesn't cost me anything. It's just time and a bit of organisation. The charity will benefit from it. And our customers will get something back that, again, is a really, really nice personalised gift and an experience mm. wow. of those things. And something that also keeps the kids well-behaved up until Christmas, which is key if you've got kids, as you know. <laughs> but that kind of thing, again, isn't about making money. It is about making money for a charity, but it's not about making money for us. That's about just giving something back, giving something cool, and then mm. building on our customer base to reinforce you know, the brand that we produce, if that makes sense. Mm. So there's lots of different diversification things that you can do. It's just a question of what you feel comfortable doing and taking a chance on things. And I like, a massive, sorry, go on. Sorry, go on. I, I, like, I like what you said about, um, you know, approaching local businesses in, in the place that you live and uh, wanting to work mm. with them. How did you approach them in the first place? Um, so initially it was like just a generic Facebook post. It wasn't like I want to work with loads of local businesses. It was, can anyone recommend any good local independent businesses? <laughs> That's all I wanted. I just wanted recommendations. Mm. And then I would just contact them and just say, well, look, here's some, the first video I shot was a baby sensory class for my cousin because she did baby sensory in Bournemouth. So I just said, look, can I come along with a camera and just video you? And I'll give you a free video to use on Facebook to market your services, but I can use that to show other people what I can do. Because hmm. you must remember, I've been filming video promos. It's not like I went into it cold. I'm not, and I don't want to upset any videographers who slave over their art. But I've been, I've been photographing wrestling promos, sorry, videoing wrestling promos for the last five years hmm. and editing them and putting them together for sort of YouTube content and for Instagram content and for quick hits, you know, to get a match over and to get a feud over and to and to intersperse all this footage so i'd i had a I had a sort of a, a handle on what i was doing um so yeah and and it's a case of like i think a lot of local businesses struggled with video content because mm. they're either trying to do it themselves or or they were producing like, i don't know if you see this i like the amount of videos i see for local businesses where the logo is 20 seconds long who's got <laughs> yeah. 20 seconds to watch a logo at the start of a video yeah. no one mate yeah. You know, and, and I think that short snappy, I, I managed to get it, you know, I, I think I can tell a story quickly and short and, and well. Mm. And, um, and that's key. And I could also, the, the other thing I could do quite well was I could put subtitles on videos that look reasonably modern. And, mm. and that was the thing that, that that's the thing to get people to stop scrolling. Mm. You see a video online without subtitles, you don't stop if mm. you, because a lot of, because I think there's some statistic like 60% of people scroll Facebook with the sound on mute because they're either in the office, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, there you go, you see? Mm. We've got kids who don't want to interrupt people watching TV. So if you've got subtitles, you're more likely to stop, right? Mm. Um, so it's all these silly little things. And I don't claim to be an expert in it, but it just gave me a, 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 an extra string to my bow, you know? Mm. Great. So in the long term, where do you see yourself progress? Like, what's your, what's your sort of long-term um, future goal? My long term, I've never made a massive financial success out of what I do. Everything has always been, you know, reasonably hand to mouth, to be honest. Mm. Um, so my goal is to is to do what I what I've promised. I keep promising people that I'm going to do, and and I keep letting myself down on it. And it's and it's probably the last big uh, fear I have to overcome, which is to sort of open up a big studio. Mm. 
So my studio up until this point has been at home. The mm-hmm. last big jump I made was 10 years ago, which was to go self-employed, which I thought was too much. I was too scared to do it for so long. And, um, and I've been doing that for 10 years now, and I think we've hit a bit of a ceiling. So now my next thing is to actually get commercial property and to and to do the thing that, to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing, where everyone else is building their home studios and building and converting their garages and building a shed in the back garden mm. or just working on location. I'm going to do the opposite, and I'm opening up on the high street because I'm mm. a fool. Um, but it's uh, it's um, it's a challenge, and I think I had a really long discussion with um, with a lot of photographers over the last year about the word failure. And this might be a massive epitaph, I don't know, but like so many people within the photography industry are really resilient to that word and don't even like it being used in forums and in things like that. Or, you know, when you say that you failed at things mm. and failure is just part of the learning process. Failure is the thing that you do when you got something wrong and it's the sign that you use to change it. And it's a massive thing to overcome. And it's, and it's the, it's, it's what inspired me to go self-employed in the first place was seeing a documentary where the gentleman in the documentary said that if you're not afraid to fail, you have every chance to succeed. Because mm. if you're not afraid to fail, failure, fear of failure is the biggest barrier to most people. And I'm petrified of opening up a studio. I'm petrified of putting money up front to, uh, to put forward as a deposit. I'm petrified of everything that might go wrong. Um, but it's the last big challenge I have to, 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 to overcome. And I, and I think, I, I think I need that focus and to build some sort of studio. It's nothing's official yet, but to build some sort of studio that acts as a community hub, as much as a photographic studio, mm. that's part of this community that, that helps showcase other artists, showcase other people and just bring people together after this time of global crisis, hopefully will be something that's a success. But we can only we can only get there by by confronting fear of failure. You know, I spent fifteen years working in corporate, and not just corporate, but that dreaded online retailer that you mentioned earlier. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, brilliant! For the last, well um, upset you. Good for the last five <laughs> years of working there. I didn't want to work there anymore. You know, I'd already right. decided that I can't do this anymore. I need to go self-employed. I need to do something for myself mm. and be creative. And I can't live in this world anymore, as in the corporate style world. And it took me five years, five years to get over that fear of doing it. And do you know what happened? Nothing. There was no issue. There was no problem. I didn't, you know, I, I'd set myself up well enough in advance to go, uh, well, if this all goes wrong in a year or two years or four years or five years, I've done enough in advance to be able to cope with that. And I can always go back yeah. to corporate. The reality is sometimes that um, when you, you can only fail when you take a chance. You know, if you never take chances, you're minimizing your risk of failing, uh, but you also are not really going to progress mm. at the same rate. You know, uh, the thing the thing about progress is uh, is it's all about taking chances and taking opportunities. You know, it's yeah. I mentioned earlier that um, that you know I used to be a you know I, I used my I used to be a full time musician. I also um, I used to run um, a private music school for twelve years. So I set up I set up a business and ended up uh, with 
you know, 16 people working for me and over 300 students, 350 students or whatever. And that was um, that, that experience, you know, and bearing in mind, it's like going from being a creative person into being a business owner and then taking on the responsibility of, um, you know, of, of uh, ensuring the livelihoods of 16 people who work for you. That's, there's, there's a major difference there in, in responsibility and how, how heavy that weighs on you when things go wrong in, in the business, because it has not only an impact on yourself, but it has an impact on all of these people who, who rely on you to pay their salaries, you know? Um, but I failed so many times in that business um, and what that's given me is, and I've succeeded so many times in that business as well. What that's given me is just a wealth of, um, of experience and reassurance. And it has completely eliminated the fear of trying something new. Um, yeah. you know, it's, that's the one thing you learn. failing is part of progress. You cannot progress if you don't fail, you know, it's, that's, it's a really important thing to, to bear in mind, um, in business. I've made some seriously stupid, I mean, in hindsight, of course, hindsight is always the best, the best judge, isn't it? I made some really stupid decisions, which I thought was, you know, I thought it was exactly the right thing to do um, at the time. Didn't work out. Well, you know, um, there's nothing like, there's nothing like waking up to a phone call or a letter from the Internet Revenue saying you owe them 50 grand. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. <Wow. laughs> yeah, it's like wow. That's a hole, man. That's a hole that takes takes a lot of digging out of. But um, you know, but it's uh, it has it. It's been absolutely invaluable. I think you're absolutely right. It's you know, it's you, you just have to sometimes put yourself in it to win it, as they say. This is the <laughs> thing, though, isn't it? My mate, a friend of mine, runs a used to run a very successful life insurance company that eventually sold to an even bigger life insurance company. Mm. And he said that, like, he said it to me when I went first for self-employed. He said, "You're on the roller coaster now, but you're on you're on this bit just as it goes up real, real slowly." I don't know if you're familiar with this, Nick, but like, as soon as you make a decision to go self-employed, you're down the other side, mm. and you can't stop it. You've made that decision. You're going. You're just going, you know, and you got to hold on and and whatever twists and turns you adapt to along the way, you know, and uh, and that's uh, every time I make a big decision, I think of that roller coaster. Wow, what a you know? great um, sort of metaphor to go with there. I love that. It's uh, <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> <My God. laughs> it is right. Did you not feel that though yeah. when you when you made that decision? Did you not feel well? I'm going now. Yeah, it it was oddly freeing as well. That you know it. Mm. It's, it's funny, I was talking about this um, with a friend of mine just a few weeks ago and saying that, you know, throughout my 20s and whatnot, I, I'd never actually really failed. You know, I was very successful in the job that I was doing. I did very well there. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't that set me up badly for being able to take that leap and that jump, you know. So that consequently meant that I didn't really change you know well, i spent 15 years at the company the same company mm. you know i didn't change i didn't take chances i didn't do that didn't that right all of that's changed over the last you know what eight years or so six, five six seven years or mm. whatever that's completely changed my attitude to doing something new is mm. totally different so from my you know, going back to mental health that we were talking about earlier god i'm in much better place than i was when i was working working in, in corporate I'm doing something that I enjoy. 
I love doing. It's opened my world to my eyes to doing something new and check, taking charge. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's related to work or not, it doesn't matter. I'll still go and do it. Yeah, you say yes, you don't say no anymore. I, mm. The most freeing thing I've ever done is to making that <laughs> jump and going down that side of the roller coaster. Mm. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is personal projects. Uh, what have you got planned for the next year or so? I'm going to go around the country teaching every photographer how to like their own Zoom calls so they don't look like an idiot. <laughs> Excellent. No, I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to... Um, I've got a love letter to um, uh, capture for my local running club that I, that I run here. So we've got a, I've got a running club with about 200-odd members. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do like a study of the people who come to our running club um, because we don't really attract elite athletes. Uh, we attract people of all sorts of abilities and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I really want to reflect that in, in a really, in, in, in sort of like a nice series of portraits. Mm -hmm. I want to go, I want, talking about fear, I want to produce a panel of landscapes. I'm not entirely sure how it's going to look. I've got the, I've got the, I've got the seed of an idea. Um, but I, I actively like, don't dive into landscapes as deeply as I should because I don't feel like I understand them as well as I should. Same. Plus I don't feel like, <laughs> you know, I like, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty, but it's pretty. It was pretty in the first place. Right. Mm. And I understand that there's like loads, there's, there's so much more in into it and I want to try and understand it more. Um, and, and I've got a concept for that, um, but that's mm. going to take a long time to sort of to sort of come across other than that it's just i want to i'm mentoring and working with as many photographers in this industry as possible to try and bring them up to a level of achievement that gives them a sense of belief in their own ability because so many photographers suffer from that hmm. and also i want the industry at the associations level and the institutes level, whatever association institute that is, you've got the BIP, the societies, the MPA, the guild, all these other things. I want them to really represent what Britain's like in 2020 because they don't by and large. Uh, and the ones that try, you know, they, they've still got, they, and the few that I'm aware of still, uh, uh, that I talk to are aware that they've got ground to go um development to have and i feel like there's so many in terms of youth in terms of gender in terms of race in terms of ethnicity in terms of sexuality there's so much more out there that is not being tapped into at that level and 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 there's a number of reasons why that is and um and my role as a middle-aged white man is not to take up a, a, a role within any association and be a standard bearer. My role as a middle-aged white man is to, is to help the, the next, you know, the next generation of people to come through and be that representation mm. and show that representation within societies so that they are more welcoming, you know, from the outside looking in really. Um, and to, and to generally show off what, what is great about that sounds like a cliche, a cliche but this i believe that the the united kingdom has a real potential to to be a nation that that shows real diversification and representation and acceptance and tolerance mm. um i feel that we've lost our way and i think that's a real shame and i think what we can do in our own little bubbles really helps you know did that get too deep 
That's <laughs> perfect. Great. Well, it sounds like I mean, it just sounds like a it sounds like a great project. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just little things, you know. And the, and the, the artistic creative projects will come to you. Mm. Most people don't do them because I think they don't know what they would do with them. You know, I'll do a creative project, but who's going to see it or or whatever? And like, especially as well, like the last time I judged for the for the BIPP at the last qualifications judging, and we saw a mixture of panels that passed and were unsuccessful passes. We can't mm. use the word failure. We can't say they failed. We have to say they unsuccessfully passed, mm. which made one of the mums on my school run <laughs> sort of wet herself yeah. in terms of terminology, business terminology. But the ones that were unsuccessful, just because they were unsuccessful on that judging doesn't mean they were unsuccessful. I've seen them being featured in newspapers, being mm. seen, featured on blogs, being featured on websites, being featured in, in posts and all this sort of stuff. So the point about creative projects is, is there's development and there's, there's self-gratification from it, but it's mm. also getting it out there so that people can see it, you know? Yeah. That's the other key thing. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Because, you know, very often... We can have different different aims and goals with a personal project. Sometimes it may be, you know, to create something that helps other people, for example. Um, mm. Sometimes it's just something that you do to kind of better yourself, uh, you know, to, to become a better, you know, better edit, to become a better photographer, you know, in general. Or, um, mm. you know, it's what you said about landscapes very much resonates with me because that was that was actually my big plan for 2020 was right. uh, was to get better at shooting landscapes and understanding landscape photography. Um, because it's not something I do. I don't really, I feel, I don't really understand it. Um, and I've always said in the past, you know, I don't have a problem, um, staying up until four o'clock in the morning, shooting a gig, but I really can't get myself out of bed at four o'clock in the morning to sit in a field, to look at a tree, to wait for the sun to come up, <laughs> to take a photo, you know? And, um, but, but I've since met people who are incredible landscape photographers Mm. And, you know, and I've seen and paid attention to land landscape photography that's, that's really, um, you know, blown me off my seat, you know. Uh, and so so my plan was to go to, uh, we were going to go to Canada um, to see family and stuff. And, um, and I thought that'd be a great opportunity to get into landscape photography. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't happen this year but it may i mean it's, it's, it's going to happen next year hopefully so you know so i think this has started though because of something that happened in lockdown in that because uh, we were desperate to get our children outside plus lockdown happened largely in the summer mm -hmm. so one of the best investments i made was to buy these little circular walk guides for different parts of the country mm -hmm. so each book you get for like this this one i got is for hampshire right mm -hmm. so it lists about 30 circular walks everything from three miles up to like 15 miles uh -huh. and it would take you to places that you'd never thought of going with a step-by-step -step guide as to how to get from mm. the start to the finish which is always in the same place different things to see along the way the kids were getting involved because there's all these historical things and there's these big climbs up the hills and all this sort of stuff mm. and you were just seeing all these things and i think it just kick-started something in me and, and and it was just a lovely free thing to do for the kids as well. We take a picnic and it was all very idyllic and lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I think that's a th that's a, that's an itch. I've got another itch I want to scratch on, like an, on on a very deep dark project based around um, a hospice that I've done some work with in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something there as well. Um, but it's just it's just picking the right time for these things, I suppose. And yeah, uh, and yeah it's a, it's a necessary outlet for any creative. I would encourage anyone to try and find a creative project to to get involved in. Yeah. 
on that note, I think we have come to the end of episode 31 of the Camera Shake podcast. James, it was an absolute treat. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show this week. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a joy. Excellent. Well, we'll be back next week, um, as always, every Thursday. Um, see you next week with episode 32. See you later.